0: Hey, folks, and welcome to episode 169 of the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moats, and I'm assistant to Peter Lighthart, the president of Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs will learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we are continuing our series with James Jordan, our scholar-in-residence, on the life of Jacob. In this talk, titled The Two Trees, he's going to discuss Esau's ties with Adam. He'll give some special attention to Esau's complexion and a little bit of a theology of hair. Centrally to this episode, he's going to discuss what really happened when Jacob deceived Isaac. He'll also touch on how Jacob and Esau are symbols of the two trees in the garden, and discuss some themes of food in the Bible. We really hope that you enjoy and are sharpened by this time of teaching. And as always, thank you so much for listening.
1: We were last week in chapter 25, verses 21 to 28, which is on page 115 of the version we're reading. And I'm going to read this out to you again, starting in verse 21. Yisgach entreated Yahweh on behalf of his wife, for she was barren. And Yahweh granted his entreaty, and Revkah's wife became pregnant. But the children clashed inside her, and she said, if this is so, why do I exist? And she went to inquire of Yahweh. And Yahweh said to her, Two nations are in your body, and two tribes from your belly shall be divided, and tribes shall be mightier than tribe, and elders shall be servant to younger. And when her days were fulfilled for bearing, behold, twins were in her body. And the first came out ruddy like a hairy mantle all over. So they called his name Esav. And after that, his brother came out, his hand grasping Esav's heel. So they called his name Yaakov. Yitzchak was 60 years old when she bore him. The lads grew up. Esav became a man who knew the hunt, a man of the field. So Yaakov was a perfect man remaining among the tents. Yitzchak grew to love Esav for He brought hunted game for his mouth, but Rivka loved Yaakov. Last time, we were in our notes on page 9, and we had looked at the barren bride theme in the scripture and the two seeds struggling within the woman, and we had begun to notice some of the Hebrew puns that were in this passage. The elder being servant to the younger, these are Words that sound very much like words that show up later on. Servant, Ya'aboh, sounds like Ya'akov, which is Jacob's name. Jacob would have been servant to his older brother, but now that's changed. It's replaced. The word for younger, Seir, sounds like Seir, which is the other name for Esau. And so again, Esau becomes the younger brother. He becomes Seir. And then we ended by talking a little bit about the firstborn replacement theme in the Scripture, and particularly in Genesis. I don't know of any case in Genesis where the firstborn son winds up being the righteous son or the son who inherits. It's always replaced. And we saw that that is entirely symbolic in its meaning the first Adam is replaced by the new Adam, the younger brother. And that's pretty much consistent throughout the rest of the Scripture, too. David is the youngest. Moses is the youngest. Case after case, we find this. And it's not something we're supposed to apply one way or another. In our time, it's for theological reasons. Now we can come to verse 25. And we find, as we read, that when the boys were born... The first one came out ruddy or red, like a hairy mantle all over. So they call his name Asav rough one. There are a number of words here that are important. The word ruddy or red is Adom. It's the same as the word Adam. And it's the same as the word Edom. All of these are variants of the Hebrew word that looks like this. Adam. And depending on what vowels you want to stick with it, you get these various words. Adam, Adam, A-D-A-M, gives you Adam. Adom E-D-O-M, gives you Edom. Adom, A-D-O-M, gives you the word red. These are all sound alike and they're rooted in the same word. The word for ground is the feminine of this word. It has an H on it, Adama. Man is called Adam because he is made out of Adama, red dirt. The ground is this reddish-brown color, and beings have variants of a reddish-brown color, from light to black, and everything in between. And that is the word red or dark red. It's an Adam color. Esau comes out like Adam, Edom. And the word here, Adam, becomes Edom. And Esau is called Edom, which means red. And we'll see in just a moment that there's a reinforcement of that name. That's not the name he's given initially right here. But it's a name that is picked up, and the Esauites become the Edomites, or in the New Testament, Edomians, or Idumeans, like Herod. Now, being ruddy, having a nice dark red color, that's a good thing in the Bible. It's a good sign. Second Samuel 16:12 tells us that David was handsome and ruddy. Let me find that. Have to go outside of our Fox translation for that. First Samuel sixteen twelve. Jesse says there's one more child. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. Yahweh said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And not only is David handsome and ruddy, but so is Solomon. If that stands for reason. In Canticle 5, verse 10, the bride says, My beloved is dazzling and ruddy, outstanding among ten thousand. And it just kind of goes on from there. In fact, in Lamentation 7, talking about the daughter of Zion, who is now being judged, and she's described symbolically here in temple language, but part of it is in verse 7. Her Nazarites were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in their bones than corals. Their polishing was like lapis lazuli. So part of being beautiful is to be white as snow and also red as coral and blue as lapis lazuli. This is a good thing. Esau. He's got all the good outward appearance, ruddy, handsome. And all that's going to be transferred to Jacob. Jacob doesn't look like that. Jacob is like that, and the two will be exchanged. All the good things that are said about Esau. If you want to look on the outward appearance instead of on the heart, Esau is the guy you might think, whoa, he's a pretty good-looking guy. That is one good-looking guy, that Esau. Then the next thing is said about Edom, Edom, the red guy, is that he's covered with hair. Well, not like a wolf boy, but he had a lot of hair. The word for hair is Se'ar, from which we get Seir, S-E-I-R. You remember from your readings in Genesis that seer is the name of the Edomites or the Esau culture. And it's the same word. The word for Harry is se-ar. In other words, S, backward hook, r. Now, I'm just what are you going to do with the vowels here? Harry is se r. Esau is e sav The R becomes a V. Se-ir is se ear. They're all the same basic word, Esau means hairy dude. This guy with lots of hair. And hair is glory in the Bible. So this is another good sign. You know, we're not a real hirsute culture. Women shave the hair off their legs and other places. Most men are clean shaven, but in biblical culture, hair is neat. A woman's hair is her glory, and For a man to have a nice full beard, have lots of hair, that's a glorious thing. Remember what happened to David's men when they were shamed and humiliated and had their beards torn out by the enemy. And David says, don't come up here to Jerusalem and be embarrassed. Stay down until your beards have grown back and you look good. Remember Absalom's hair. This was regarded as a sign of strength and glory that he had all his hair that he cut off once a year. You should cut it off more often than that, but he was putting on the old Nazarite act. The Nazarite grows the hair of his glory and then he cuts it off and puts it in the fire and offers it up to God. So being hairy may not say much to us. I mean, because of our northern European culture and everything, we tend to think of light skin and not a whole lot of hair all over your body as being more beautiful. That's more of a Hollywood image. But... Biblically speaking, in terms of this culture and the symbolism here, having hair growing out of your body means glory and being a nice red color. That's a glorious thing. So Esau has all this. And that's important to know at the outset. Otherwise, we read it and say, he came out and he was all red and he had a lot of hair. We think, oh well, so what? You know, yuck, maybe. But not so. That's not what's being communicated here. What's being communicated is that this is the glorious Son. The first one. But it's going to all be reversed. Now we come to the name Jacob. The name Jacob is a pun. The actual spelling of his name, you have it Y-A-A-K-O-V in the Bible in front of you. It really should be a Q. I wish that they would respect the difference between K and Q in Hebrew when they do this, but he didn't. So both A's are pronounced Ya'akov. And the stress is at the end if you want to say it right. Ya'akov. Ya'akov comes from a phrase, may God protect. Ya'akov, El. The word El is God. May God protect. But the word a-cave means heel. So there's a pun here. So he comes out grasping Esau's heel. They call his name God protect, and also they call his name. Heal, heal, grasper. Uh huh. He's got rough one, and the idea of hair being rough. I don't think roughness is so much the idea of hair as glory. He's trying to give a translation there. He's trying to give a translation of the word Esau. Yeah. And I would say. Hairy one instead of rough one for Esau. And leave it a bit more neutral. And actually, Jacob, heel holder, but actually the holding is not in the name Jacob. It's just if it is a pun, what it relates to is just the heel. So he's given you a kind of a paraphrase there. Heel holder. But it just means heel and also means God protect. And both of those names will become important as we go through. These are names that God aspired to be given and have some significance in terms of the later history, so, so I want to take a few minutes on them. Now let's consider these characters as they're set out because these verses tell us something about each of the four characters in the drama that we're about to read about. First, Esau. Verse 27 says that Esau became a man who knew the hunt, a man of the field. By calling him a hunter, we're associating him with Nimrod. In chapter 10, verse 9, we remember Nimrod. Cush begat Nimrod. He was the first mighty man on earth. He was a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Therefore, the saying is, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Yahweh. His kingdom at the beginning was Babel in the land of Shinar. And then he built Asher and Nineveh. So, Nimrod was at the Tower of Babel. And he's one of the bad guys. Now, it's not bad to be a hunter. But there are some problems with being a hunter. Depends on whether that's your life or that's your hobby. With Esau, it's his life. And I'll say a bit more about that in just a second when we compare him to Jacob. The second thing it says about him is that he's a man of the field. Well, now that expression of the field has already taken up a meaning in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, no bush of the field was yet on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up when God made man. And then after God makes Adam and Eve and they sin, then those plants come into existence. Thorn and thistle the earth will spring up for you when you seek to eat plants of the field. Now the plant of the field is associated with the bushes of the field and the shrubs of the field and thorns and thistles. In Genesis chapter 1, on the third day, what kind of plants were made? On the third day of creation week. Think of back. Day 1, day 2, day 3, on the third day, grain and fruit. That's all. Now in chapter two verse five, it says the plants of the field, which means the grains, had not yet sprouted, and the other plants of the field, the shrubs of the field, had not been made yet. And they're not made until after Adam sins, and then all those other plants include thorns and thistles, pine trees, broccoli all ferns, all the stuff that's not grains and fruit trees is made. And among those things are a lot of thorny things that were made at that time. By calling Esau a man of the field, that's not a positive thing to say in this context. He is a wild man, not a domestic man. He's not one of the Garden of Eden plants who stays around the house and gradually grows and develops things. He's one of the wild plants that's out in the woods, and that will stick you with thorns and thistles if you go hanging around it. He's like these bonsai forests we have out here along the water where you couldn't even walk through that thicket that's out in Destin along the beach. You couldn't even begin to go through it, and if you tried to, it would tear a skin off your body. Those are plants of the field. And Esau, right at the beginning, the language that's used here causes us to question who this man is. We'll have to read more to see more about him. But initially, it looks as if he's being compared to Nimrod. He's being set up as a thorn coming out of the ground. Now, Jacob is contrasted, and the contrast is important. First of all, it says Jacob was a plain man or a perfect man. This is the word that's used in 17.1 where God says, walk before me and be perfect. Let's see what he says for that here. Walk in my presence and be wholehearted. Well, okay, that's the idea of perfection. Wholehearted. I'm not sure that's a good translation for Tam. But that's what he gives. It's close. Job 1.1. says Job was a perfect man. It doesn't mean they never sinned, but it means that covenantally speaking, they were perfect people. And that's what it says about Jacob here. And especially in the context of Genesis 17:1, where God tells Abraham, walk before me and be perfect, be complete. When it says that about Jacob in that context, it has to mean the same thing. It's only because people are convinced that Jacob is a bad guy that they don't want to translate it that way. And then the other thing we see about Jacob is he's not a man of the field. He remains among the tents. He manages the household economy. Now, this is the difference between a manager and a hunter-gatherer. Esau is a man with no concept of dominion, no concept of responsibility. He goes out and shoots an animal, brings it home and eats it. He gets hungry goes out and shoots another animal. He doesn't have to plan anything. He doesn't have to make any provision for the future. He doesn't have to keep any accounts. He doesn't have anything he's responsible for. He just goes and gets what he wants out of the woods and brings it home. That's the picture. Now, he may have, growing up in this household, he may have had other responsibilities. Probably did. But essentially, this is a guy who is not exercising any kind of dominion. On the other hand, Jacob is a perfect Jew. I mean, this guy's a banker. He's managing the household economy. And this is a whole tradition in Judaism ever since. Jews as money lenders, Jews as managers, Jews as guys who know how to manage things. It goes back to here. This becomes their ideal, and it should be ours as well. And Jacob has to keep the books. He has to know what's going on. He has to know where the sheep are. If there's sick sheep, he has to deal with them. If there's sick goats, he has to deal with them. If there's sick cows or sick camels, he has to deal with them. If there's crops, he has to deal with that. He has to take stock and manage this household along with the rest of the people there. So he is responsible. And he's not a hunter-gatherer. Of course, Adam was made the same way to take charge of this garden area. I constantly hear this nowadays. Well, human beings were originally hunter-gatherers, and that's why you ought to eat nothing but meat. Well, it's fine if you want to go on a meat diet, but don't do it because you were originally a hunter-gatherer, and for millions of years you didn't eat anything but meat. Because human beings were never hunter-gatherers. You can't have a society of hunter-gatherers. You can only have a few individuals out on the fringe of a society who live that way. Like Esau, The only reason Esau could afford to go out and spend a lot of time hunting is because Jacob was at home taking care of his household. Otherwise, he'd get pretty old to go out and hunt. And we'll see that right away. Esau comes in from the field and he hadn't managed to get anything, so what does he want? He wants some of the stuff that Jacob has been taking care of because the day in and day out routine stuff by the responsible brother is Jacob. He's the one managing that. That's the picture. And later on with Joseph and his brothers, you have the same thing. Joseph is the one who is honored because he is the bookkeeper. The others are out there with the sheep, and they're stealing sheep every now and then. And Joseph is managing the books. He knows exactly what's going on. Then he does that for Potiphar. And then he does it for Pharaoh. Lay up all this wheat and storage cities. This is all planning, responsible dominion stuff. And it stands in total contrast with the guy who's just going out in the woods and killing animals to eat. So, I imagine that from time to time Jacob went out and shot him a deer. Why not? But that wasn't his life. And the contrast here is between the responsible and the irresponsible. The person who is like an image of God developing his own world, developing the garden just as God developed the world, so now Jacob is developing a world managing a household. And Esau is living just like an animal. Because this is how animals live. When a lion gets hungry, he goes and takes down a gazelle. And then when he gets hungry, he goes and takes down an ibex. And then a few days later, when he gets hungry again, he goes and takes down a zebra. That's how animals live. Esau lives like an animal. Jacob lives like a god, one who plans and has dominion over a place. He lives like the image of God. That's the contrast, just in these two lines. Now, the reason we feel confident saying this contrast is because we know the story as it develops. This is what Jacob is like when he goes and works for Laban. He's very responsible. Laban prospers because he's a good manager. Esau, on the other hand, just becomes a warrior. He's irresponsible, and we already know this because we've heard these stories before that these contrasts are here. But I want you to see the contrast right here at the beginning because it's important to understand that the story of Jacob and Esau is basically a story of white and black. A guy that's all bad and a guy that's all good. This is not a subtle story. When you get to David, you got a guy that's after God's own heart but he commits sins and it goes back and forth. This story is really not like that. Esau really doesn't ever do anything good. And Jacob really doesn't ever do anything bad. As far as the text is concerned. These are illustrations of the righteous and the wicked man. And that's why, commenting on it, Paul says, Esau I hated, Jacob I loved. This becomes the great black and white contrast in the scripture. Yeah, I think that is right. Hebrews 11 where it says... Esau was a profane, well, we'll find it because we'll be coming back to that. And I'll remember to look that up. But that's, yes, a good point. I mean, all the summary statements in the Bible are that way. So Jacob seems, because of some of our modern prejudices and the way we're taught, Jacob seems like he did some wrong things along the way. The next character is Isaac. Isaac grew to love Esau because he brought game for his mouth. But Rebecca loves Jacob. Isaac only looks on the outward appearance. The word of God has spoken that Jacob is to be the one who will inherit. God has said clearly who is supposed to be preferred. Isaac doesn't look to the word of God. He looks on the outward appearance. Esau, he's a man's man. Isaac is attracted to that. Because he's a hunter. Now, the theme of food. Really important in the Bible. Every time you have food come up, you've got to take a good look at it. Because the very first thing that ever came up in the Bible was food. And the last thing that comes up in the Bible is food. First food is the two trees in the Garden of Eden. And they picked the wrong tree to eat. The first thing God says to Adam and Eve is be fruitful and take dominion over the earth. And look, I've given you all this stuff to eat. Eat, 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 eat. eat. And you get down to Revelation, as we just finished it up, what do you got? Trees of life all over the city. River of life. Come, drink of the river. Eat of the trees. Marriage, supper of the lamb. Food, 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 food. And so what kind of food you eat and when you eat it is always extremely important in the Bible, and it is here. we got two sons. we got two foods. Man is made of soil. The soil of Isaac and Rebekah. And out of this soil, one of these sons is a tree, and one of these sons is a thorn bush. And this tree produces one kind of food, and this thorn bush produces another kind of food. You got a choice between Jacob, who is a tree and produces one kind of food, and Esau, who is a thorn and produces another kind of food. And this goes back like to Genesis 2 and 3. So you got two trees. One tree is to be preferred over the other. You are supposed to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and go to the tree of life. You've got two sons here. And Isaac has been told which son he is to prefer. He's not told to hate Esau. God from all eternity has the right to make such predestinating decisions, but we don't. He's supposed to love both his boys. But in terms of who's supposed to be preferred covenantally, he knows this, Jacob. He's not going to do it. He's thinking in terms of the food, in terms of what he wants. Which one does he want? He wants the glory tree and not the service tree. This thorn bush, it looks real glorious. This tree of glory, like tree of knowledge of good and evil, has to do with glory. And we've discussed that before. It's glorification. And tree of life is just plain old vanilla food. The tree of life is just manna. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's quail. You don't want manna, you want Chinese food, something that's savory and tasty, not just plain old bread and water. You're supposed to start, you' know, heartburn real bad if you start the day off with spicy Chinese meal. Start the day off with simple food. That's your alpha food, your beginning food. Well, Esau's got all the glory. I mean, he's red. He's got hair all over him. He's macho. He's out there shooting animals. Man, he brings them in. He cuts up the skin. It's all very dramatic. Oh, Jacob, he's sitting there with his book, adding up numbers. little thin, shriveled Jewish guy with glasses pouring over his books. He's not real macho and attractive. Who do you prefer? That's the issue here. And Isaac, he likes the wrong food. All this connects up, you see. Wrong food. Food from the son who seems to be glorious. But it's not the food he should have preferred. If you like deer better than lamb, that's okay. But in terms of the way this is all set up here, Isaac likes Esau because of the food. So what was Isaac's God? And God was his belly. Isaac has is fallen into sin. The word of God says one thing. Isaac's belly says another. And his God is his belly. So he's listening to his belly instead of to his God. Now, another thing that's important here, these people lived 130, 140 years. They had lots of experiences and only three or four experiences in their whole life is given us in the Bible. You have to ask, why does the Bible select these two or three experiences to tell us, among all the other interesting things that might have happened to them along the way? Well, the next thing we're going to read is the famine. The whole of chapter 26 starts off with the famine and the consequences of this famine. Hey, if Esau is supposed to be such a hot dog, he can't provide in the famine. Esau proves to be a failure. Esau is the firstborn. God predicts that they're going to change places, but that has to happen legally. But Esau is set up here. Esau is the guy who's providing the food for Isaac, and he's unable to do so because there's a famine. And when the famine comes, Esau cannot produce any food. Not anywhere near enough. And so Isaac has to go and live with Abimelech in Gerar, and then things happen. Does Isaac learn from this? The fact that Esau wasn't able to provide when the famine came. No, Isaac doesn't learn from it. Isaac doesn't learn from anything. He doesn't learn from God's prophecy. He doesn't learn from the legal arrangement between Jacob and Esau, which we'll look at next week. He doesn't learn anything. This is Isaac. Isaac started out well when Isaac was about 20 years old. His father took him up to Mount Moriah. And Isaac carried the wood all the way up the hill. And Isaac lay down on top of the wood, knowing his father was going to stick a knife in him and kill him. He submitted to Abraham and to God. Abraham was an old guy. Isaac is old enough to carry all this wood up the hill. You see these pictures of Abraham and Isaac as a little boy. Isaac is not a little boy. The word for lad or young man here means 20 or so. This is a strapping youth. He didn't have to submit to being sacrificed in chapter 22. Here's a godly man who was willing to go along with the supreme test. Godly, we always think about Abraham and how Abraham had to offer up his son. The text focuses on that, but read the story again look at it from Isaac's point of view. He gets up there and Abraham says, Well, (laughs) I didn't want to tell you this till now, but you're the sacrifice. Isaac's willing to go along with him, just as Jesus was. He lies down on the wood, makes his peace with God, and waits for the night. And then God throws Abram's hand. That's Isaac. So now, just as Adam started out well and fell into sin, just as David started out well and fell into sin, just as Aaron came out of Egypt and started out well and fell into sin, every time God starts something off again, people fall into sin. And here's Isaac. Isaac falls into sin. Right here. He loves the wrong son. And that has consequences. And it continues to have consequences. It goes this way for 60 years or so until finally Isaac repents. And it's not even all that clear in the story of Genesis that Isaac repents. He gives the blessing he wanted to give to Esau. He gives it to Jacob. It's his trick. And he says, well, I'm stuck with it. But in Hebrews it says that he did repent. And God pushed him all the way up against the wall and there was no place left to go. This is Isaac. God gives Isaac lots of chances, but he just doesn't take him. But ultimately, God is faithful to him. And by being tricked by his wife, he's saved. Simon is Rebecca. Rebecca loves the one God loves and has chosen. She loves the one who loves God. We already saw her pictured in chapter 25 as a woman who is immediately interested in the covenant, immediately interested in following God, wherever he calls She's like a new Abraham. As soon as God says, come on over into the promised land and I'll make you a great nation, she says, let's go. That's what she wants. And the same picture is here. She's unlike Eve. And remember that when Adam and Eve stood in front of the tree and the serpent said, go ahead and eat the wrong tree, Adam stood there and just silently encouraged Eve to do it by not saying anything. Well. Isaac is encouraging Rebecca to prefer Esau. She shouldn't go along with it. So, she is better than Eve in the sense that she resists her husband's promoting of the wrong tree. And she's actually a real hero in this passage. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you can read the text the wrong way if you, just as you said, if you start looking at this and say, well... Isaac loved Esau, Rebecca loved Jacob. There was constant tension in the household. This has disastrous results when you plug in modern psychological analysis. Well, well, there might have been. On the other hand, there might not have been. It might have been that they were both pretty equitable in their treatment of the sons, but when push came to shove, Rebecca favored Jacob, and Isaac favored Esau. We can't psychologize a lot on this. We have to look exactly at what it says, and then go with that. And What we are being told about here is that Isaac is in sin because it doesn't say he loved Esau because he was his firstborn. It doesn't just say he loved Esau. It says he loved Esau because of the food. That tells you see, what you need to know. It just says Rebekah loved Jacob. It doesn't say why. But I think in context, it's because she knows God. When she was in trouble, she turned to God. Well, Let me just read over the next story, and we'll consider it next week. We've just got a couple of minutes, and maybe it would be good just to read on and see what happens. The way this has been set up, the children are born, they're different. God predestinates them to be different by prophesying that they're going to switch places. When they're born, Esau appears glorious. Jacob, well, he's grabbing Esau's heel to replace him. As they grow up, Esau becomes basically your hunter-gatherer type of guy. He's living for fun, living for sport, the sport of hunting down the animal. Jacob grows up, and he is responsible in the household. The parents are divided up over this. Now, we have come to a certain stage of life. Now, to get this in the chronology fix... Jacob does not go off to get his wife until he's 77 years old. So he's 77 years old when he puts on the sheepskin and tricks his father about the blessing. He's 77 years old. I'll prove that to you when we get to it. It's not hard. It's very clear in the text. So sometime between the ages of 20 and 77, the following incident takes place. We can say maybe the two guys are 40 or 45. Somewhere in there, this takes place. Once Yaakov was boiling, boiled stew. I'm sure other English translations would never repeat the word boil two times in a row like this. See. Here it is, so that you can see the same Hebrew word as there. Once Yaakov was boiling, boiled stew, when Esav came in from the field, And he was weary and starving to study the sea. The psalm said to Yaakov, Pray give me a gulp of the red stuff, that red stuff, for I am so weary. Therefore they call his name Edom Red One. They already looked at that. Yaakov said, Sell me your firstborn right today. They actually I wish he had done this better. Here and now is not the best translation. This is a legal statement and the first word in the sentence should be today. Today, transfer to me your firstborn right. Esau said, Here I am on my way to dying, so what good to me is a firstborn right? Zalakos said, Today, swear to me. And he swore to him and sold his firstborn right to Jacob. Yaakov gave Esau bread and boiled lentils. He ate and drank and got up and went away. Thus did Esau despise the firstborn right. Nothing about Jacob cheating his brother. Nothing about Esau coming into the field, starving. He hadn't had anything to eat for a week. He was dying of hunger. And his vicious brother Jacob refused to give him any food until he had rooked him out of his firstborn right. Nothing like that is here. That's all the invention of some of the commentators and we've all heard that. I heard it for years, never thought about it till I got in and began to study it a few years ago and noticed that no. Other commentators are much better and that's not what's going on here at all. The story's really interesting. I want you to think about a couple of things. We'll come back to it next time. Esau comes in, he's just tired. He ain't gotten anything soon. And he sees Jacob's got this red stuff in there. He says, let me have some of that red stuff, that red stuff there. It's repeated twice. And we don't know what this is, this red stuff. It's not hard to figure out what Esau thought it was. God said after the flood, you will never drink blood. And that's the connection that's being made here. He says, give me some, cause I'm tired. Jacob says, if you want some of this, Sell me your firstborn. Right. He thought, oh man, I'm going to die. I don't care about firstborn right if I die. So they go through this transaction. It's a legal transaction. Then it says, it turns out he's just getting lentils. He's getting vegetables. It's not blood. It's not meat. It's not what he thought it was. <laughs> he sold his firstborn right for what he thought was something much more magical, perhaps, than it turned out to be. Then it says he ate, drank, rose, and went off. It's important to see that these verbs indicate he wasn't sick or anything else. He can eat that stuff and pop right off. No big deal. He despised the firstborn right now. Esau wanted to come around later and say, Hey, I was just kidding. You know. We were just kidding. right?" Or whatever. It doesn't matter. You don't kid about something just kidding. That's a preview of the story. Once again, we've got food here. What does Esau think the food is? What is it really? Adam sold away his entire birthright for food. Wanted the wrong food. And lost the garden. Same thing here. Food. Big deal in the Bible.
0: Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast.